to be ending our last uh, chapter here in Philippians. And how many have enjoyed the book of Philippians? I, I tell you what, it's been it's been challenging. You know, it's one thing to be challenged, you know, when you're out there listening, but it's another thing when you're when you're studying and you're being challenged um, by by the scripture. And that's what the scripture does: is it 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 puts us in our place. It puts us in check. Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, and so, um, and uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of back review is uh, the emphasis of this book. It's it's called the Epistle of Joy, and joy is its emphasis. Nineteen times joy or the word rejoice is mentioned, and uh, remember that Paul is writing while he's in prison and he's chained to a guard in Rome. Um, how many of you guys have? I, I think I said this a, a week or so ago. How many of you have wrote a book? While you were in prison, didn't think so. On joy, on top of that, uh, I didn't think there was any of us in there. And uh, this is the fourth and final, final uh, chapter, and it deals with uh, the settled mind. Chapter one dealt with the single mind. Chapter two dealt with the submitted mind. Chapter three dealt with the simple mind. That's my favorite chapter because that's me. And number four dealt with. You didn't have to laugh so hard, Bev. <laughs> chapter four, <laughs> if the shoe fits, uh, chapter four deals with the settled mind, and, and God wants us to have a settled mind in who we are and know who we are in Christ, and, and Paul just gives some great encouragement, and the settled mind is to have joy in all situations, good or bad, and to do that, you have to have a made-up mind that, that, that no matter what's been thrown at you, that you're going to be joyous throughout that situation and uh, to not be anxious but to be settled in prayer let me repeat that to not be anxious about situations but to be settled in prayer how many know that prayer will settle our spirit amen um, and so we need to know that and, and settled in unity with with other believers everyone look across the building look at someone smile at them all right Good, that's perfect. That's what we need to be doing that. So we'll start here. Philippians uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and it says, therefore, I'm going to stop right there. And you're like, oh, great, this is going to be a long night. He did one word, and we're already going to break it down. So just a little, little, uh, little help when you're studying the Bible. When you see the word therefore, stop and think, what is it there for? Okay, so therefore, it's 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 finishing a statement. It's it's telling you, hey, the last statement that was just said, this is going to lead into the next statement. Okay, so therefore, so when you see that, so remember that. So remember, um, Paul's he's encouraging the Philippians, and at the end of chapter three, you remember where we left off. He's talking about how God is going to make things all, everything is going to be made right when we get to heaven. Things that seem like they're uneven on earth, seems that things that seem like they're unfair on earth, situations that happen. Guess what? When we get to heaven, everything is going to be made right and just. So that's where we left off. And how many is ready to go to heaven? All right. If we had a bus load right now, how many would hop on? All right. Man, that's a lot of hands. That's, that's, that's <laughs> and, uh, and so Paul is saying this at the end of chapter 3, no matter how bad things seem, no matter how bad the government is, no matter how messed up your family is, no matter how imperfect things are here, once we get to heaven, things will be made right, and once Jesus returns, things will be made right for you and I, and so, so that's where we are, that's where that word therefore comes from. My brothers, also, my sisters, okay, just so you know, it's not just talking to the guys here, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, uh, whom I love and long. One thing I love about oftentimes when we talk about Paul, sometimes we think he was just pointed and very rigid, and he was very intellectually wise and smart. And sometimes we, we get that coarseness about Paul, but here we're seeing a side of Paul where he actually truly is showing, hey, I love people. 
Why? Because Christ loves me and Christ loves people. That's, that's literally it. And so he's saying there, my brothers whom I love and long for. Not only do I love you, but hey, I miss you guys. Remember, he's in prison there and he's a little bit, uh, uh, you know, he's by himself. And so he's missing them. And he says, my joy and crown, as with the case with Paul, with the people of God uh, brought into the kingdom through, uh, through our sharing of faith with them or ministering to them. And, and he, you know, same thing with us. When we minister, minister, not minister, minister to somebody and when we pray for somebody, uh, you know, they are going to be our joy. They're going to lead to joy. How many have ever had an impact on somebody and then later on in your life you didn't realize you had an impact on it and then they came to you and said, hey, I just want to tell you, you inspired me at one point. It's kind of like, whoa. I never even realized that. I didn't even realize I was making an impact on you. I had no clue. Well, think about this. When you win a soul, when you win a soul, and when you pray for somebody, and I want to get too far ahead of myself here, uh, you know, the scripture tells us in, in, in Daniel 12, 3, it says, read, it reads like this. It says, those who save souls are wise. Are you wise or are you not wise? That's a pretty tough statement, right? And Daniel says that those who save souls are wise, for they shall shine like the stars forever. And the message, I wouldn't even call it a translation. I would just call it more of a paraphrase, says it like this. They will glow like stars forever. And I believe, this is my me personally, I believe the shining or glowing is the faces radiating in heaven of people of uh, those that that have that we have shared with or maybe those who we have prayed for wouldn't it be awesome when you go to heaven you walk in you walk into heaven and somebody is there and you're like hey i remember you and they're like you prayed for me you told me about jesus and what a joy that would be and so uh, it's a wonderful thing to think about the ones that we've prayed for and the ones that we've talked to will be in heaven how many that's our hope amen that's our hope as a people and we may never know the true impact that we're having here on earth until we get to heaven. And so, you know what? We just got to stay diligent. We got to stay diligent working and, and sharing the gospel. And let me tell you something. When we think about that, when we think about our lives as Christians, when we share the gospel, when we pray for people, when we do those things, it should be our joy to say, hey, maybe that person will be in heaven. And maybe I just had a small part. So he goes on to say this. Stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Um, so he, in, he ended chapter, chapter 3 talking about heaven. And in light of the Lord, uh, the Lord is going to return. He's, he told the Philippians that. How many, we still believe that today, right? And, and so the Lord's going to return. So Paul's telling the church of Philippi and us today, stand confidently in Jesus. There's a time to stand confidently in Jesus. It's right now. When the world's shaky and what they say, what is good is bad and what is bad is good and things are backwards, now's the time to stand confidently in your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? And sometimes, and, and, and we need that, I need that as a reminder. Sometimes we all need that as a reminder. And, and when the wind of doubt blows, how many have had winds of doubt blow in your heart before and going along and the enemy will put a thought in your mind and, and you'll start thinking on that thing or the storms of life you know we have to tell ourselves hey in the middle of doubt in the middle of storms lord i'm gonna stand firmly in you stand firmly in you and and so and we need to know this heaven is the real deal and we should be all about it you know, heaven is the, real, is the real deal. Heaven is real. Let me tell you something else. Hell is real. And there's a lot of preachers that won't preach that anymore. But let me tell you, just as real as heaven is, hell is real. And the reality is, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you're going to spend an eternity either in, if you know Jesus, you're going to spend an eternity in, in heaven. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to spend an eternity in hell. That's the reality of it. And let me tell you what our single job as believers is to let everybody in the world know that Jesus saves. That's it, plain and simple. Uh, you, you ever say, hey, what am I supposed to do? Tell someone about Jesus, and then tell someone else, and then tell someone else about Jesus, and then tell someone else about Jesus. And I think sometimes we worry uh, too much about the way that we feel, 
or what's going on in our lives, or we analyze ourselves endlessly. Anybody ever do that? Driving in the car, and you're like, man, why did I not? Why, do I, why did I say that to my, my kids? Or why did I respond that way at work today? Or, you know, why, why am I unhappy or this? Or we scrutinize our situations continually. If this would change, if this could just change, if I could be promoted, if my boss would quit, you know, we scrutinize everything, right? And we ponder circumstances tirelessly. But in reality, the joy or the crown lies in sharing with people. And that's sharing with people and letting them know who Jesus is, the people that don't know Jesus. And that should be our, our heart's desire. Um, maybe you're praying for a lost, lost child in here. Keep praying. Keep praying. And, and maybe you're, you're praying for a lost friend. Keep sharing the gospel with them. Keep preaching the gospel with the way that you're living. That's even a better way to reach them. And you do that by just showing love and just and then letting them know, you know, sometimes, you know, love also is correction. I'm not saying you need to take your Bible and go up to someone and beat them upside the head and say, you need to stop living like that. Now, some of you wish you could do that to some people. But let me tell you, it's not effective because let me, the Holy Spirit does perfect work. We got to let the Holy Spirit do his, his job. And so um, something to think about, and I believe that the reason that Paul could have joy in prison and write an epistle of joy is because the people he knew would be in heaven uh, with, e with, with, him etern with him eternally because he shared with them personally. So I love that. That's a great. Um, so uh, verse 2 says this, I entreat. Uh, Euodia and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord, okay? So here's an issue here. I, I mentioned this in chapter 2. I said there was a little bit of a, Paul didn't have a whole lot of correction for the uh, Philippians, but this is one place that he did have correction for the Philippians. And he mentions it a little bit in chapter 2, and then he comes back to it here in chapter 4, and then he calls them by name, okay? He calls them by name. And he's given them a word of correction here, and this is all we know, that there was two women from the church of Philippi, and, and, they're, and there's a little bit of a, a, a they're, they're having a hard time getting along. There's a little bit of a schism. Everyone know what a schism is? Schism is a fancy way to say church split, okay? There's a little, little, little fracture, a little, little break, and these two ladies aren't getting along here. And, and, and what were they disputing over? I can tell you what it was, the color of the carpet at the church. Now you guys laugh, but you know. Hmm, all right. You know what they were fighting over? Who gets to be the leader of this ministry? What about this? Whose title was more important? Ah, you know, you guys are thinking, ah. No, surely it was a theological difference. Maybe they just had a, a theological difference. You know, here's the thing. We don't know exactly what it was. And Paul doesn't even, doesn't even tell us. And you know what I, I like even further? Paul doesn't tell us who's right and who's wrong. Maybe one's right, maybe one's wrong. Maybe the other one's right and the other one's wrong. Maybe they're both wrong. But he doesn't even get to that, and, and he doesn't even say, hey, I don't even, I just want to address the issue. There's, a, there's an issue here between these two ladies, and I love these ladies. They help build a church. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to go, go further. So, so, and here's the thing. It doesn't say who's at fault, and either one, and, and, and what we need to know and what we need to understand is we don't learn uh, what the quarrel is about or who is wrong. Why? Because those things are irrelevant compared to the fact that the Lord is coming. That's where Paul's at. You ladies are fighting over nothing, over something that's not even important. Because Jesus is coming, and it doesn't matter what color the carpet is. It doesn't matter who holds the title of this, and it doesn't matter this. But all that matters is that people will know Jesus Christ. That's where he's at. That's where he gets that word, stand fast. Everyone say, stand fast. You know what? You're struggling. Maybe you're having a hard time. 
guess what? You might, you might not get your way here on earth, but guess what? It'll be made right in heaven. Oh, that's tough, TJ. Yeah, it is. And Paul's saying that the Lord is coming, and we don't have time for disunity in the church. We don't have time for schisms, and we don't have time for uh, certain people's uh, opinions or, 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 or strongholds, okay, or, or whatever. And Paul's saying the Lord is coming, and we can't be out of unity. we got to be in unity together. And biblical counseling is, is, is uh, amazingly simple in all manners. Let me tell you why. Those in interpersonal conflicts, and let me tell you something, we're people. There's times where I'm going to rub you the wrong way, and you're going to rub me the wrong way. You know how I know that? I have a wife. She's not here tonight. But let me tell you something, even though I love her and I've been married to her, she knows me better than anybody, and she knows just how to make me right. And when we're together and when we are family, all of you who have siblings know exactly what I'm talking about. When you are family, when you're together, you know each other and you love each other dearly. But let me tell you something. Your brothers and sisters can be the ones that can, can make you the maddest. Right? I'm speaking truth right now. And, and same thing goes here in the church. We love each other and we're family. But let me tell you something. Sometimes... Brothers and sisters, we rub each other the wrong way. We have a misunderstanding over something, and we have a conflict over something. Let me tell you, God doesn't like, God doesn't work in disunity. He works in unity. Psalms 133 says, you know, uh, you know, talks about the how blessed we are when, when we are together in unity and how it's, God allows the anointing oil to run down the beard of Aaron there. It's a beautiful picture of that, and so that's the way we should be. And those in interpersonal conflicts, we can be like Paul and say, even though you may be technically right in any given argument, you're spiritually wrong. That's a bold statement. That's a hard statement. Just because I'm right doesn't mean I'm spiritually right. Sometimes my attitude is the difference maker. Maybe there wouldn't be a conflict if I didn't have an attitude about it. I didn't get my way and I didn't this. I know I'm stepping on some toes tonight, but that's okay. That's all right. I care about you. I love you. I want us to be in unity. So there's something about unity that, that catches, catches the Lord. Let me tell you something. When, when the 120 were in the upper room, they were there in one accord and one mind, right? One, one mind and one accord. Unity. And God met them there. Same thing can happen here. We're in one mind and one accord, okay? Well, what if I don't get my way? Or what if I don't like this? <sighs> Put your big boy pants on. Say, hey, it's, it's better to be spiritually right than it is to get my way or to be right, you know, in, in the flesh. Okay? I'm, I'm just saying that. Why? That's what the Lord wants. And this is what we need to understand. Um, that statement that I said, even if you're technically right in any given argument, you're spiritually wrong. Why? Because the Lord wants you to be forgiving. The Lord wants you to be gracious. And the Lord wants you to be merciful. Why? Because he is forgiving. He is merciful. And he is gracious to you. So if God is that way to you, guess what? I am to be that way to others. Even when I'm right. Well, that's good. All right, verse 3 says this. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, the King James Version says, what do you got, Lane? Do you have your Bible? You have it there? Okay. What does it say? Oh, you don't have it tonight. Oh, man, he normally has his King James. So the King James Version actually calls, calls him yoke fellow. Yoke fellow. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on blast, brother. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, someone who has a yoke with you somebody who is carrying he talks about them being a true companion you know what I you know so here he is he's talking about a schism and then he's talking about somebody that is a true companion they're the yoke they're they're there helping you carry a weight that's a true friend right when you're struggling you know what I can do when I'm down 
You know what I can do? I can pick up the phone, and I know I can call Sula, and I can say, hey, Sula, will you pray with me about this right now? And she will drop whatever she's doing and pray with me at that moment. And maybe you know, hey, maybe you're having an issue, and you know that if you pick up the phone, you can call me. And you know what? I'll do my best to drop whatever I'm doing and pray with you right there in that moment. Because let me tell you something. We are to be taking and helping each other's yoke. All right, I love that. I love that. Tradition has it that the yoke fellow was the, was the Philippian jailer that Paul led to the Lord following the miraculous earthquake that set Paul and Silas free. But, you know, after that, the jailer, if you think about this, and if you know anything about Roman law, the jailer, anybody that escaped when a jailer was watching the jail, guess what? They had to pay their sentence. You know why they did that? They wouldn't let no one escape. So this big earthquake happens, and this jailer, he is like about to fall on a sword because he knows his life is done. Everyone's, everyone could be free. And you know what Paul, and so, and Paul tells him? He says, hey, we're all here. We're not going anywhere. And you remember the story? His household is saved. That's a beautiful story. So, um, um, so there's that. Okay. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together. Now, so, so we're still talking about, uh, uh, you know, the women here, the reference here is to Lydia and the other women who were instrumental in the birth of the Philippian church. Remember, um, I've, and I've mentioned this, I've alluded to it several times, you know, Paul is in Asia and he's not sure where to go and he's on the beach and then he sees a man and he says, hey, come to Macedonia, we need your help over here. So then he goes there. When he gets to Philippi, guess what? He runs into women praying on the Sabbath and, and it starts the church with women praying there at the river. And Lydia and, some, and maybe some of these ladies were crucial in that. But here he is telling this, this story. And, and Paul's saying, hey, you other ladies or men in Philippi, let's bring some unity there. Okay, sometimes our actions, sometimes we, we make people go one side or the other. Sometimes we're divisive with our tongue. You know what I've learned? When someone tells me a story and they're like, hey, this, 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 this. I know there's another side to that story that I haven't heard. And I'm not saying I don't necessarily, that I don't believe people, I don't trust people. But let me tell you something. There's two sides to every story. And let me tell you something. When someone tells you a story and maybe they're, they're criping or they're whining about an issue or a situation, oftentimes they're going to they're gonna paint a picture to make them look good and someone else look bad. So I've learned, hey, just a little bit of wisdom here, just a little, little bit of biblical wisdom here. And let me tell you something. I have friends that have gotten upset with me because I didn't automatically dislike somebody that they dislike. How childish is that? Because here's the thing. This is what I would tell them. Say, hey, listen, that person has not hurt me. And I have no reason to look at them with ill. I hear what you're saying, but maybe you need to go pray about it and let some things go. So honestly, that's, that's just, we got to stop and think about that. And so he's talking about that. He's, he's looking at all these people in Philippi and he's saying, hey, some of you ladies, some of you men, get together. Bring some unity to one another. We can't allow this. And, and this is the only moment here. Let's bring some unity here. And, and Paul says this, I love you. Euodia and I love Syntyche and, and, and why, why don't we, we don't have time to argue, let's get it right, let's look at the big picture here, we're trying to win people to Jesus and if we're sitting here fighting and, and gnawing on each other, guess what, we're missing it. And the enemy's tactic, and look at this, the enemy's tactic has been the same for a long time and I'm going to tell you what it is, divide and conquer. There's nothing more than the enemy wants to do than to, to divide the love between brothers and sisters in Christ. Drive division, spread people out. It kind of reminds you of, you know, how wolves hunt. They divide and conquer. They, they separate someone from the pack. They pull them out alone, and then they attack that weak sheep or whatever they're, they're attacking. That's the way the enemy works. And so he can cause division, and he can cause confusion, and he can cause... Uh, uh, you know, issues, it makes the church irrelevant. Now look at this, Ephesians 6, 11 through 12. And I, I, I read this in a lot of translations, and I, I looked at this, the Passion Translation. And I like the verbiage that it says right here. It says, and this is a very, very popular scripture. 
most of you will know this when I start reading this. It says, put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Now, I want you to look at verse 12. Who are we fighting? We're fighting the strategies of the what? Of, of the devil, okay, or of the evil accuser. So there we are. So we know what we're looking for. We're putting this armor on for that reason so we can recognize the tactics that the enemy is trying to attack us with. Verse 12 says this. Your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings. Your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings. What does that mean, TJ? Just saying if you're spiritually in, in a divisive moment with someone in the church and you're struggling with someone, let me tell you something. That is not why we have the armor of God. We have the armor of God to protect us against the wiles of the enemies. That's what the King James Version says. It says your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demons and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. You know why you have the armor of God? To recognize the tactics of the enemy. To stand firm. Alright, you guys hear me? Are you with me? And the enemy would like to make, make you think or confuse you to turn on your brother and sister and cause dissension. Let me tell you something. If you're ever in a moment where you're angry with someone or struggling with someone, you need to go make it right with them. Sit down and have a civil conversation. If you can't have a civil conversation, invite me in there. I'll be a mediator. The armor of God is to protect us against such things. And so let me, let me just give you some, some real good, good advice here. Unity is essential as believers. Unity is essential. Let, let's, so, so let's unite our hearts on things essential. You know what? I have friends that are different denominations than me. You know, I have friends that believe differently than I do. You know, I have friends that are, that are Baptist. Do you know I have friends that, that are different denominations? You know what we focus on? Jesus. You know, my Baptist friends, you know what we don't, we don't, we don't focus on our differences. When we get together, you know what we focus on? Jesus Christ, him crucified, him raising, being born again. That's the essential. That's the essential to all of us. And oftentimes, we focus on the unessentials. And this is, here's, here's some good, 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 just some good counsel here. Focus on the unity, on things that are essential to us, okay? And here's the thing. Here's the flip side of that. Give liberty or give grace to the non-essential things. Maybe they believe differently scripturally than you do. Or maybe you believe differently. Hey, give them grace. Doesn't mean you need to go show and argue about things. Because that really oftentimes doesn't, doesn't get us anywhere. But, and here's the last thing. Give charity in everything. What does that mean? Give love in everything. I mean, that's, that is some great, great counsel. And listen, I have spoke. I have spoke at some Baptist churches, and I have preached at some Baptist churches. And you know what? I didn't come in preaching at a Baptist church. Holy Spirit and tongues. and But you know what I did come in and preach? Jesus Christ and him crucified and how he wants a relationship with you, okay? So, so stand fast. And Paul's saying this, stand fast. And he's saying, hey, women, get together. And then with Clement and the rest of my fellow, I don't know who Clement is. I think he's from the Ozarks. But with Clement and the rest of my fellows, that's a little Ozark joke, okay, Clement? All right, some of you, maybe it's from Williams, where I'm from. All right, Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Guess what? That's what I'm looking for. That's the essential thing that I'm looking for is those whose names are in the book of life. Look at this. In Luke 10, 20, the disciples, they're eagerly uh, seeking Jesus, and, and they, they said, even the demons are subject unto us as we share your name. It's amazing what's happening. So there they are, and they're preaching. They're, they're, they're using Jesus' name. They're casting out demons, and they're doing some great things. But what did Jesus say? Look at his response. He said, don't rejoice in what you have seen. Rather, rejoice that your name is written in the book of life or in the Lamb's book of life. 
what you see with your eyes, uh, you know. And oftentimes, I, I love that. We should be elated continually, not because we cast out demons or we saw healing or that we were used in ministry. We should be amazed constantly over one thing primarily, the fact that we're saved. That ought to blow you away every day. I got up Monday morning, and I was just reminded that God's mercies are renewed each and every day. The Holy Spirit just spoke to me, and I thought, man, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me grace today. Thank you for giving me new mercies today. And I love that. The fact, number one, the fact that we're saved. This is the other thing. Hell is real. You heard it here. This pastor will preach it. Hell is real. It's hot. It's real. And we don't always understand it. And oftentimes it's fuzzy to us. And we don't want to talk about it. But Jesus knew the reality of hell even, even as much as he knew the reality of heaven. He was talking about that rejoice that your name is written where the lamb's book of life and that's why he told his disciples to be excited about uh because their name was written in the lamb's book of life the knowledge that 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 you are heaven bound should be should put a smile on your face every day everyone smile at me who's going to heaven right <laughs> that was cheesy i don't know why i did that Tristan was here. She'd been going, stop. Um, I, I, the other day, Friday, I, was, I went, I attended the funeral of uh, Stephen Gore's grandfather, Charles. And uh, while I was there, uh, I, where I had to s sit, I was not facing where, where I could see. I was facing the opposite direction. <laughs> and I had a wall so that no one could see me. I'm just sitting there listening. And, and I believe they, they started singing this old song, and it was uh, Heaven's Jubilee, and they just started singing the verses to that. And, and my, from my childhood, I mean, I just popped up. I was like, oh, and I started singing. I'm looking at Tristan. She's like, she's watching me, and I'm just wording every, song, every, every word that they're saying there. And I began to think about that, and something inside of me just thought, you know what? We ought to be more excited about what's to come in heaven. We ought to be more excited about it. Listen, we can struggle. We can, we can look at our life and struggle with the things that we have here. But listen, the day is coming. When we get to heaven, all our pain and all our sorrow will be wiped away. Amen. And I, I think that's beautiful. So I was thinking about that. Look at this. Verse 4 says this. Oh, I love this. I love this verse. This is a popular one. You probably heard this in, in kids' church. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I've said this, rejoice means joy and joy again. It's literally what it means. Rejoice, joy, again, joy, again, joy, again. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say, all right. I can't always rejoice in my circumstances, but I can always rejoice in the Lord. Circumstances may look bleak, but guess who I can rejoice in? The Lord. Verse 5 says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And the ideal here is to avoid extravagances because the Lord is here among us and because he's coming back for us. And we don't need to get caught up in earthly things. I'll give you a verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Now, that's a lot to chew on right there. Can I tell you some things in this earth? Some people will say, well, that's not a sin, and this isn't a sin. And it might be, it might be lawful to do, but it doesn't mean it's beneficial to you. And secondly, it may not prove to be beneficial to your testimony. And I'll give you one more, take it a little more, a little step further. It may not be beneficial to the person who is watching you. So not all things are beneficial. So, and he's saying, and Paul's saying this, be reasonable to be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. Watch how you live. Earthly things may be okay, but not beneficial to us as believers, to our witness. Verse 6 says this. Oh, now we're getting into the good stuff. This is, I, I love this portion. This portion of scripture, you just, everyone wants to write this down, and everyone wants to quote this scripture, and I love it, and we're going to get into it. Do not be anxious about anything. How many have been anxious 
about something in the last week. How many have let fear drive something inside of you in the last month and been worrisome about certain things? And the ideal here is this. Don't be full of care. Be careless. You know one thing I love about kids? They're careless. They don't have a care in the world. They don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. They don't worry about, you know, what's going to happen. They just, they just live their best life. Mom and dad take care of me. Right? Anxiety and worry, you know what they do? They give us something to do, but they don't get us anywhere. It's kind of like a rocking chair. Gives you something to do, but a rocking chair doesn't get you anywhere, right? You're just spending time, wasting energy, just rocking. I mean, I, hey, I'm not against rocking chairs. I have one in my house, okay? Uh, I'm not against rocking chairs, but I, I, I can tell you that we are not to, to be in worry and fear and just doing it, and, and it's getting us nowhere. One of the classes I took in, in college it was, it was mind-blowing to me because I always hated dealing with tough situations. And, and, and how many hate conflict? All right. How many love conflict? I'm going to pray for you if you raise your hand. All right. And, and in this class, it was, it was crazy. I would never thought of this. But in this class, they taught us some things and how to respond to conflict and some things. And, and, and what they taught us was look at the conflict, look at the situation, all right, and, and draw a line, what's the best case scenario and what's the worst case scenario? So if this happens, that's the worst thing that could possibly happen. And then if this happens, this is the best possible thing. And so there's your range. So if you fall somewhere in there, you're, you're probably doing pretty good. And it was mind-blowing to me to learn that. And I thought, man, I stressed over so many situations when I could just probably look at a situation and go, hey, this is the worst thing that could happen. It's probably not as bad as I think it is, as I want to make it out to be. I'm being anxious and I'm worrying about it, and it's probably not that bad. And anxiety, and so that was, that was really eye-opening to me. Anxiety and worry only weigh us down while joy lifts us up. If you're not being lifted up, you probably have anxiety and worry. If you don't feel the joy of the Lord, put on the garment of praise, the spirit of heaviness amen but in everything by prayer and supplication with with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god the way to remain in the place of rejoicing uh the way to avoid uh being caught up in extravagance or any any sort is to remain in prayer 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 simply means two things here in this context. It's about, number one, communing with God. That is communication with God, communing with God. Simple. The other is supplication. You know what supplication is? It means to bring, uh, to bring our request to him. Some of you are like, I didn't know there was a difference in those two things. You know, it's one thing to have a conversation with God. It's another thing just to give God our wish list. When's the last time you just had a conversation with the Lord? I wouldn't have a very good marriage if all I did was give my wife a wish list. Hey, I wish you would do the dishes. I wish you would put my clothes away. I wish you would do this. I wish you would do this. But if I don't ever have any communion, if I don't ever have any conversation with her, if I don't ever look her in her big blue eyes and say, hey, baby, I love you. You make my liver quiver. And if I, don't ever, if I don't ever have those moments where I remind her the first time we kissed, those little plastic tips on my, on my shoelaces melted. I felt electricity. But oftentimes in our prayer life, we're all about our request and not about communion with the Lord. Conversation. And here's the key to both. They have to be done in the spirit of thanksgiving. For the abundance for which the Lord has already blessed us both materially and spiritually. So if we read this fast, it's easy to easily compartmentalize these three things into three parts. Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. But prayer simply, I said it, is communion with God. And look at the second part. It's subtle and easy to miss. Supplication with thanksgiving. Didn't say we couldn't ask couldn't lay our, our, our fleece before the Lord or give the Lord our request. 
But what we, when we say, hey, God, will you help me with this situation? I know you are a faithful God, and I thank you, Lord, you've been faithful to me. God, I give you praise. I give you glory with a heart of thanksgiving. See, when I'm supplicating, I'm making my requests known, but I'm, I'm doing it oftentimes uh, with the heart, and, 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 and you got to have a heart of spirit and thanksgiving behind it. Here's my, here's my need, Lord, and I thank you for all you've already done in my life. It's that simple. And oftentimes how we ask. I tell you what, it's different when my kids ask me something with a heart of thanksgiving versus when they just ask me something. I, made, I, I kind of alluded to that Sunday a little bit when Zaylee is wanting to ask me something. And I can tell she's wanting to ask me something. And, but if she says, hey, Dad, if I... Uh, if, if, if can Braden come over, I, know, I don't mean to pick on Braden, but if can Braden come over and, but dad, you've been such a good dad. Thank you for grilling last night. Thank you for putting gas in my car. And then you know what? My heart starts to change. Oh, she does love me, right? But we should have thanksgiving to the Lord. Verse 7 says this, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in prayer and supplication, guess what? Then comes peace. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Anything that you think you can understand, the peace of God can surpass it. Will guard your hearts. And your minds in Christ Jesus. The older I get, the more I realize that prayer is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. It's a two-way conversation. And I'm learning more and more that the real need in my life is not for God to hear me, but for me to hear him. Because what he says is eternal, and what I say is often just a wish list that I have on my heart as I walk. As I drive, as I kneel in prayer or whatever, I will, I'll say a few phrases. And sometimes I just got to sit still. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes I'm so busy praying, I hear spirits say, I'll say something if you let me. Oh, stop and listen. And, and here's the thing. We, sometimes we need to learn to just rest and just be quiet. And when I do this, the Lord will bring us uh, certain scriptures to me and, and he'll write his will upon my heart concerning on what I'm supposed to pray versus what I thought I should be praying. Oftentimes in my past, I've prayed sentences and then paragraphs and pages to the Lord only to say amen and walk out. And God's like, I'm glad that you prayed to me. Would like to set some things back to you. And while that prayer is better than no prayer, I suggest that if you learn to pause and listen during prayer time, the Lord will show you how to believe on behalf of another and how to pray specifically concerning any given situation in your life. All right, look at this, verse 8. Oh, I like this verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The theme to Paul's epistle to the Philippians is, is experiencing joy in your heart, is to have the right thoughts in your mind. So if you want to experience joy, you need to have the right thoughts in your mind. So how are you to think? Think of things that are true. Think of things that are honest or honorable or just, pure, lovely, of good report, or commendable, excellent, or virtuous, and praiseworthy. I, I, when I think about this verse, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some, some good sound. I don't know. I'm just in the sound wisdom giving mo moment right here. Take this verse. Put it on your computer screen. Take this verse. Put it on your TV. Oh, some of you are like, Whoa. see, I've made the mistake <laughs> where it's like, well, I'll watch this movie because it's a true story. Whatever is true, Lord, you said whatever is true. Doesn't matter that people's heads are being lopped off and 
terrible situations, and I've, I've segmented this. But listen, it's not just one. It's, it all comes together. That's the litmus test. Some of us need to put that on our phone. Whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, of good report, or commendable, excellent, or virtuous, and praiseworthy. I love that. Think about these things. Think about those things. Not your circumstances. Think about the good things. Because you know what that does is it forces us to think about God because only God can fit that bill. Verse 9 says this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. I like Paul's ministry because it's a show and tell ministry. Not only did he tell people to do what what to do, but he showed them how to do it himself. Is your Christian life worth someone following? If everybody lived like you live, what kind of church would we have? It's good questions. If you can't answer that and say, man, my life is not worthy, then you got some work to do. Guess what? I got some work to do. Me too. We all got room for improvement. The verb learned here is not just increasing in intellectual knowledge, but learning by habitual or habits, practices. So basically what you want to do here is if you're, you're learned, you want to create some good habits, some good prayer habits, some good reading habits, some good attendance habits, some good, right? And the God of peace will be with you. If you think rightly, if you rejoice in the Lord continually, if you think on things that are pure and lovely, the God of peace will be with you as surely as he was with Paul. Look at this, verse 10. It's gonna, and he shifts gear here, and he, and he starts talking about God's provision. He says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So this is in reference to the fact that the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus back in chapter 2 to Paul with a financial gift from them. And, and news about their welfare. And so Paul was always on the move. And it's funny because while he was constantly moving and doing ministry, Epaphroditus had a hard time catching up to him. He really did. He, he, until he got in jail, then he was like, finally, I've got him nailed down. I can finally get to him. And, he go, and it goes to show you that, that a, a kind word of encouragement can give comfort long after it was given. So Thankfulness and contentment were part of Paul's life. As believers, we should be the same. And verse 11 says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Lord, I wish you hadn't put that in the scripture. Because that's easy to read, easy to quote, but that's hard to live. Radical message here. Warning, warning, warning. Radical message here, okay? If you want to be rejoicing, if you want to be a joyous person, listen to what Paul is saying. Contentment is what you need. And let me tell you something about contentment. It's learned. It doesn't come naturally to us this week, Monday night. We had prayer here. Left here feeling just on cloud nine. Went home, and our hot water heater has been acting up, and we've been taking like five-minute showers, like whew, get in and get out because the water wasn't staying warm. And so I thought, well, we'll, we'll change the, the element in there. I think I can do it. I watched a YouTube video. I know how to do everything, all right? And so I watched a YouTube video and drained. I thought I drained. <laughs> thought I drained our, our, our hot water heater. And, and then so I pulled the element out. Well, guess what? There was so much lime and all, you guys know what I'm talking about around here, sediment in there, and it wouldn't drain, and so I was like, what in the world, and so finally I got it all drained, got it out, and I was so frustrated, went to put the next element in there, but there was so much sediment in there, when I pulled it out, it was just covered in sediment all over again, I told Tristan, I said, we got to get a new hot water heater, this this isn't going to work for us, because if we we put this in there, we're just putting a band-aid on the problem. I, w- I was so defeated. I was so frustrated. Next day, yesterday, I got up and I, I went to 
wind, is it wind supply? Is that, is that what it is? I went over there, and I talked to those great people over there. I said, this is all you need to do, this, 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 this. And I thought, I got this because I'm a penny pincher. I don't know about you guys. I don't like to spend money if I don't have to spend money. <laughs> and I started to take our hot water heater out. Well, in the process of taking our hot water heater out, our water softener was right in the way. Another problem I didn't want to deal with. Guess what? I think I broke that thing trying to get it out. And I was so frustrated in my mind. And I was, I was so upset. This is frustrating. And finally, I got it in there, got it in there. And I was just like, at the end of the day, I was like, Lord, help me to, Lord, I know I'm going to be teaching on, on being content, but help me to be content. At least I have hot water. I remember the time I went to Brazil and I never had a hot shower. So, Lord, help me to be content in what you have given me. And so, whatever you're working, wherever you're working now, you should learn to be content until God makes it clear to you that he wants you to move or change in your situation. Verse 12 says this, I know how to be brought low and I know how to be, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now look at this, verse 13, we like to quote this verse, but I'm, I'm going to show you something here. Verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength or who strengthens me. Through him who strengthens me. The Lord is with me, and I can do everything with him and through him, including being content in all situations. He's going to help me do that. Either we believe that or we don't. Either we will take advantage of it or we won't. The choice is ours. If I can't be content in all situations, I can, in fact, be, I, I, I can if, if I can't be content in all situations, I can, in fact, do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You want God to do great things? Be content in all situations, good, bad, ugly, whatever that looks like. Verse 14 says this, yet it was, a, 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 yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. He's talking to the Philippians. He's, he's, they're empathizing, sympathizing with him. And you Philippians, yourselves, you know uh, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So Paul had started a lot of churches. Guess what? Only one church is, is supporting him financially and sending love and, and, and doing that. And all the other churches that, that he had started had kind of left him there. And, giving, and he's basically giving them prompts here saying, hey, you guys were faithful. You guys stay with it. You stuck with it. You made pledges and you kept, you kept giving. And you communicated to me. You stood by my ministry. And it makes me think of our missionaries. And I, Brother Melton said something to me when he was here, our missionary from Honduras back in, I don't remember, October, I think, is when he was here, or maybe November. Um, and he said something to me. He said, you know, I love coming to churches. And I, and I was talking to him, and I said, you know, we love to be able to support you guys financially. And he said something that blew me away. And he said, you know what? He goes, the finances, he goes, God will supply he said, but you know what I need? Prayer. And I was like. So I begin to think about that, that situation. So, and so there's Paul, and he's giving, he's giving accolades to the, to the Philippians. But prayer, oftentimes, we forget to pray for people. We forget to send love their direction. Say, hey, God, will you help our missionaries? Will you be with them? Will you protect them? Will you cover them under your grace? Will you help them in all that they do? Verse 16 says this, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help uh, for my needs once and again. And so when he was in Thessalonica, uh, you were the ones who came through for me, not even the Thessalonians. It would be like me going to Brazil and our church sending money down there to help me versus the Brazilians, you know. And so that's what's happening. We don't know uh, if this is financial or if it was prayers or both. But when God places someone on your heart, let me tell you something. You've heard me say this. When God places someone on your heart, pick up the phone and call them or pick up the phone and text them. Let them know. I can't tell you the times where I've been discouraged and I've been down. And you know what? It's like my mom knows what's going on. And she'll just send me a text. Hey, buddy, just want to tell you I love you. Hope you're doing well. And I'm like, Mom, you are clutch. You know why? Because she's in tune with the Holy Spirit. 
be an encouragement through prayer and deed. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Let me read that again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, as a pastor, there are many areas that are often hard to deal with when you're talking to a congregation. There are some tough areas. I'll give you some. Um, one uh, uh, being being dealing with uh, maybe a ministry or or uh, maybe a televangelist who has said something uh, that that is uh, that's not right doctrinally, and addressing that sometimes we that's tough to deal with and and because it's my heart know my heart I don't want to tear anybody down. And so, but you know, sometimes we do have to call. We have to do that. We have to call people out and. Or not call them out, but call the doctrine out, so so they get it right, and and so and that's one area. But here's here's the other thing: if I'm a shepherd and all I do is feed the flock and never warn of wolves, then I'm just fattening everyone up for the slaughter. That's my heart. So you hear what I'm saying? So as a pastor, I I want to warn and I want to protect the sheep, and and that God has given me. Now, secondly, an area that is often tough tough to deal with 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 people is the area of finances. All right, I'm just being blunt and I'm being honest, okay? Um, oftentimes it can seem as though when I talk about finances that it's self-serving to me somehow. Right, some of you are like, well, you're just trying to get a raise, pastor. Talking about finances, I'll tell you, I'm on a salary. Where I, that's what I do, okay? That's what we have agreed to. That's what it is, okay? It is what it is. Whether the finances are way up here or whether the finances are, it is what it is, okay? Listen, I'm going to trust God one way or the other. And here's what, this is what I, what, this is the point here. And it can seem self-serving to me, but Paul, he hits the nail on the head by saying this. It's not that I want a gift, it's that I want you to have fruit, He's not worried about the finances. He's saying, no, I want to see fruitfulness in your life. And all, listen, all you have to do, uh, all you have belongs to the Lord. Did you know that? I'm, I'm going to digress here just a little bit. All that you have belongs to the Lord. And all that the Lord asks of you is to give back 10% of that. Now, I don't have time to go into that, but I'll, I'll break it down for you. We live in a cursed world. We live in a cursed system. That's just what it is. It's, it's since, since Adam and Eve fell, we live in a cursed world and a cursed system. And this is what happens. When we give our tenth back to God, he blesses the 90%. All right? He blesses the 90, 90%. Now listen, and God, let me tell you something. God has stretched my money. I don't know how he did it sometimes. I remember one time I went to church. And I had my tithe in my pocket. And I don't think I've ever told this story. And I was worshiping. And I knew the offering was coming. And I remember thinking, Lord, if I give my tithe, I'm not going to be able to eat this week. And I was having this dilemma in my mind. And I was like, I don't know what I should do here. Should I eat, Lord? What am I? What if? And I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, you just trust me. So you know what I did? Put my money in the offering. I did. I watched it go away. And I went back to the service. And look, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how good God is. At the end of service, I didn't tell no one what what's going on. Didn't say nothing to nobody. I'm walking out the church. Pastor's back there. And he sees me and he's like, hey, can I take you to lunch? Yeah, you can. And then while we're at lunch, he reaches in his pocket, and he gives me the exact amount of money that I put into the offering. He didn't know what I did. And I remember I just sit there, and I just started bawling, and he's like, thank you, you know. <laughs> but it's better to live on a blessed 90% than a cursed 100%. Hey, when you get to heaven and you've tithed here on earth, and you gave above and beyond, you are not going to be uh, like, man, rats, I wish I could have bought more patio furniture. 
You're not going to be like, boy, I wish I would have bought that grill. But you know what you're going to see is the amount of money and the amount of, of, of things that you've given to God obediently. You're going to see people in heaven that may not have been there because of finances that you gave. See, it's beyond that. So, so no, for the next zillion years, I don't even know if that's a number, the next zillion yil, years, you'll never regret that you gave to the Lord today. Now, we're not going to take up an offering tonight. Calm down. You can roll over on your wallets right now. The tithes, listen to this, the tithes that are his. God doesn't need your money. He, need, he wants your heart. There's a difference. There's a difference between the two. Now, I know this is tough, and this is, this is this, man, you're like, Pastor, you feel like you really just weigh it on us, but, and maybe we'll do a teaching on, on tithing, you know. Uh, but the tithes are his, and the offering's above that. But for that, there will be fruit for your, on your account. And I heard this saying this week. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can't take your money with you, but guess what? If you tithe it, you can send it ahead. I love that. I thought that was great. I think that was beautiful. And I believe your tithe and offering are being recorded in heaven, and God's blessing will continue to flow over your lives. And Paul had, had, uh, was not concerned with the Philippians' gift. He was just concerned about the development of them spiritually and their ability to give. So I, just a word of encouragement. Hey, you want to see financial blessing in your life? Start tithing. Watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, have received from Epiditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. So Paul calls this gifts to the Philippians a fragrant offering pleasing to God. And we are all susceptible to believing the lie of the enemy that we are excused from tithing if we don't agree with the manner in which the church is using our money. Oh, man, you had me good, Pastor, till you got to that point. See, oftentimes we, we do our best here, and, and here at the church, we do our best to be good stewards of what God has given us. Listen, we have checks and balance. We have a board. We have these. We're not just spending money to spend money, but we're strategically doing things to try to win as many souls as we can. That's our heart and that's our goal. Listen, we're not always perfect. You say, hey, what do you, what's this we business? That's all of us. We're not always perfect here. We, we do our best. And it's important to stand and identify with us. See, see when, you, when you begin to put a note on, on, on your tithe and say, hey, God, I want it for this specific purpose, then he didn't ever have it in the first place. He didn't have your heart in the first place. My job is, hey, Lord, I'm going to tithe and I'm going to trust you with it. You're going to multiply it. You're going to do what, what you need to do with it. So, all right, everyone with me, say, say I love you, Pastor. All right, thank you, thank you. Verse 19 says this, and we're almost done. And my God will what? And my God will what? God will what? Oh, you tithe, God will. You tithe, God will. What all, every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Listen, not my riches, not the church's riches, not in Bill Gates' riches, not in Elon Musk's riches, in his riches. Let me tell you what God, how much, how much, how much God has. His streets are made of gold. It means nothing to him. It's just, it's what we make our streets out of, that's it. And this is, a, this is a great and a powerful quote, and I've heard many pastors use this concerning people's needs. But look at the context. Paul's saying this, know this, if you are faithful in giving, God will supply your needs. How many have lived that out? I, I've walked that out in my life. I have walked that out in my life. God will supply your needs. Jesus, look at this, Jesus borrowed a boat from Peter. And he used it as a stage to preach from, and all the people were on the shoreline. You remember that? Okay, look at this. They let him use it, and when he was done, you know what Jesus did? He gave them the boat back. He didn't take it. He gave it back to them. And then they left, and they went out, and they cast their nets into the water, and guess what? They got a huge haul of fish. That's the way God works. Hey, you let me use this? I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. 
See, the principle is seen throughout Scripture time and time again. If we give, God will supply all our need because he, I love this, you cannot outgive God. No way, not possible, not going to happen. If it, and if you, if you haven't started developing a life of tithing or, or giving, you'll be amazed, just like those fishermen were, that God will provide for you. I love it. Verse 20 says this, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Everyone say glory to God. All right. Amen means let it be so. Look at this. Verse 21. We're almost done. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So you remember Paul had been uh, chained to all these guards while in prison and while they're chained to him guess what he's got a captive audience and he's witnessing to them and their lives are being transformed then they're going back to caesar's these are caesar's guards okay then they're going back to caesar's palace and they're all there's like a little miniature revival breaking out because they're all getting saved i think that's pretty awesome and so there he is he's saying hey remember these guys all these guards they send greetings to you guys verse 23 the grace of the lord jesus christ be with your spirit. And I like this. And so the epistle of joy ends and begins with the matchless grace of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but how many want joy in your life? Some things that we can take away from this book, and I, I'm, I'm almost done here, is number one, to have joy. Remember I gave you, I gave you joy, Jesus, others, you. Keep it in that order. That will give you joy. In your tribulations, you want joy? Be content in what God has given you. Don't be spoiled and don't be a brat about what you don't have. That's a good way to say it. You want joy? Look at your situation and know that God can take care of you. You want joy? Give obedient to the Lord. Be obedient to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I could use a little joy in my life. Amen? Amen.